0: Advent is such a wonky time of year. Down at 11th and State, the Methodists are having their Christmas cantata this morning. And we're stuck with John the Baptist in prison, wondering if he got all this Jesus is the Messiah thing wrong. Given all that our community has gone through over the last few weeks, I can't help but wonder why we can't just get on with the season the joyful celebrations, and the familiar carols of Christmas. If only God and God's church would conform to all of my expectations, things would be so much better, wouldn't they? Or maybe I can understand what John the Baptist was all about. Our passage begins with the surprise announcement that John is in prison. Last Sunday, we heard about John. He was down by the River Jordan and he was baptizing people by the thousands, telling Pharisees and regular folk alike that they were sinners in need of repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. People don't always take kindly to being told that they are sinners in need of forgiveness. Those who like it the least are often the powerful and the privileged found John probably need to hear it the most. Herod the Tetrarch found John the Baptist interesting. At first, he liked what he heard until John started to meddle in Herod's personal life, letting him him know that perhaps stealing his brother's wife was not exactly what God had in mind for him. Herod's interest quickly faded. John found himself in prison, wondering what would happen next. Back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his first sermon took place in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he took out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he read to the crowd gathered, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I am sure that John the Baptist knew about this sermon. It got Jesus run out of town and almost thrown off a cliff. But after escaping the angry mob, Jesus went about fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. He healed the sick, he preached good news to the poor, brought sight to the blind, made the lame walk, raised the dead, and gave hope to the oppressed. So you can imagine John the Baptist sitting in a dungeon in one of Herod's palaces, wondering when Jesus is going to do the whole give freedom to the prisoner thing for him. And he gets an idea. Why don't I send someone to ask? But he doesn't ask directly. No, instead he sends the question, Are you the one or should I be waiting for someone else? Jesus' response to John's question is telling. He tells the disciples to go back and to tell John what they had seen and what they had heard. And it sounds pretty familiar. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus knows that John knows that Jesus is the Messiah, whether he springs him from jail or not. Because Jesus is doing precisely what the Messiah is supposed to do. It's why John asked the question in the first place. John saw Jesus doing Messiah stuff and wanted a thing to him for himself. He was tired of waiting for the Messiah thing to impact him directly, And so he tried to speed things up, which is really, really relatable. Advent is a season of waiting. We wait for the birth of the Christ child on Christmas, even as we await Jesus coming with power and great glory at his second coming. And in the midst of all the waiting, it can be easy to begin to wonder like John the Baptist How long, O Lord? And this year, the waiting seems particularly keen. Today marks one year since dual tornadoes ripped through our community. For those whose homes were directly impacted, it's been a year of waiting, waiting on insurance claims, on contractors, on window deliveries, on inspections and occupancy permits. For those of us for whom the impact was more psychological, the waiting has been similar, waiting to hear from family and friends, waiting to know how to help, waiting for the guilt to go away, waiting to see progress, or waiting simply for our favorite butcher shop or Thai restaurant to reopen. We all wait differently. And so we have waited for anniversary events like tonight's Light the Path. And our community at large has tried to have as, as normal a December as we can have, celebrating the Christmas season as usual. But early last Saturday morning, life was once again disrupted as the Bowling Green Police Department and Warren County Sheriff told us about a shooting threat. At a protest scheduled downtown. The possibility of violence left, led to the postponement of the Christmas Parade, the Miracle Mile Race, the Mistletoe Market. I didn't even know that was a thing. And suddenly our community found itself again waiting, waiting for joy and for hope and for peace. Then again on Thursday, violent threats against high school students in our area forced us to wait for answers, for arrests, and for some kind of sense of peace. And then front of mind all week long has been Linda Surface. And we prayed for her family as they watched and waited for her journey to end and to be reunited with her beloved Howard. I could feel the weight of our collective waiting as the fog of grief would roll in and then go back amongst our staff, amongst the many volunteers who came through the building this week, from all those who called and texted and emailed to ask after her. All week I felt myself asking God How long, O Lord? How long? How long until the scars of the tornado are healed? How long until there is no longer violence? How long until sickness ends, death's sting is undone, and God wipes away the tear from all our eyes? How long, O Lord? How long? And then I began to realize that maybe Advent is precisely the right place to be. Despite the trees and decorations and Christmas music all around, I know for me it still doesn't feel like Christmas. I'm still waiting. Waiting for joy. Waiting for healing. Waiting for the good news of God in Christ to pour into my heart again. And I suspect I'm not alone. It's been a difficult week, month, year, or longer for most of us. And despite the desire to paste on a smile and to cover up the sadness with the smell of cookies and the sound of carols, our first step to true joy this holiday season actually comes When we sit in the grief and we pray to God, stir up your power, O God. Come among us with great power, O God, and with bountiful grace and mercy, speedily help and deliver us. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to pray for God to stir things up. Tonight, I'm going to go and I'm going to remember the devastation of the tornadoes. And tomorrow and Tuesday, I'm going to mourn Linda's surface and hear stories about her and Howard and laugh and cry and ponder what is really the end of an era. He knows what Wednesday will bring. But all the while, I will take comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit will be here as a comforter and guide. Reminding us that we do not wait alone. That God is with us, that Jesus has experienced our pain, and that in Christ there is always the promise that sorrow may last a season, but joy, joy comes in the morning. So come, come, Holy Spirit, into this time of waiting and grief. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us the fire of your love. And for God's sake, speedily help and deliver us. Amen.